Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Bill Allen's Facebook Studies. These are studies on Tuesdays going through the book by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. Uh, it's a classic daily devotional book. I hope that you're doing something related to daily devotion and time in the Word of God every day. Last year during these studies we talked through the Daily Bible uh, by F. Lagarde Smith uh, in chronological order. And that was a, uh, a, a fun study as we uh, summarized uh, a couple of times a week that week's readings. This week we're looking at a book by uh, Timothy Keller well, along with his wife Kathy on the Psalms, uh, looking at them from the perspective of the song and prayer book at Jesus time. And that's on Thursdays, but today, on Tuesdays, we're looking at uh, these wonderful thoughts, challenging thoughts by Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And we come to uh, uh, some readings this week that are, I think, especially challenging, and they uh, really ask some uh, very important questions of us as we consider the things that uh, God has for us. The title of this lesson is Total Surrender. And uh, Oswald Chambers asks a question in this reading, <clears throat> asking, have you, have you ever experienced total surrender to God? And I, I think that's one of those questions that just causes us to stop for a moment in our tracks because we all think, oh yeah, sure, I did, I did. I became a Christian on such and such date and I've followed Jesus ever since, and that may very well be right. And I'm sure that you are a wonderful and faithful disciple of Christ. But again, the question is, have you experienced total surrender? And I want to think of that as we look at these uh, some of his comments uh, uh, today from uh, a few days of lessons that he gives us uh, on total surrender. I, I want to I see it from the perspective of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray and the pray, prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that is, Thy will be done. Remember the Lord's Prayer, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Wonderful songs out about that. And we pray that, and I think it's a good thing to pray. But I, I think that is the scariest prayer that a person can pray, I think. To look to God and to say, Father, Thy will be done. As Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. Having communicated to the Father what his preference was, he submitted to the Father's will at that moment, just as he did his whole life. And the question is, have we? Have you? Have I? And so with, uh, with that, it's kind of an introduction. Uh, these comments are from the readings in March 11th through 13 in, uh, in Chambers' book. And it starts out with this statement from Acts 26, verse 19. Remember, Paul the Apostle has been arrested in Jerusalem during his, at the end, really, of his third uh, mission journey and uh, brings that journey to an unexpected end. And he is transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea, kind of the Roman outpost there for his own safety. And now he is uh, before King Agrippa and the governor Festus and uh, Bernice, Queen Bernice, and all of this there. He's there, and he's telling his story in Acts 26. He's talking about his experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus and then what happened when he went into the city and what, how his life changed. 
And one of the statements that he makes in that chapter in Acts 26 verse 19 is one of the instances where we read about that in Acts. Um, in Acts 9, Luke records it as a narrative in the life of Saul of Tarsus in the early church. And then in chapter 22, Paul is defending himself in Jerusalem and telling his story. And in Acts 26, he's in Caesarea and doing um, the same thing, telling his story. And what he says to King Agrippa in verse 19 of Acts 26 is, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In that vision, Jesus had told him who he was, and, uh, and Saul had asked, what do I do? And Jesus had told him, go into the city and it'll be told you. And, uh, and Ananias would come and tell him, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. But in light of that, uh, it changed his life. And uh, Jesus said, you're going to be my witness. You're going to be my witness to kings, to um, the poor, to Jews, to Gentiles, and you're going to suffer a lot. And so as Paul is sharing this story with um, Agrippa, who was very familiar with the church, um, Paul makes this statement, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And so Chambers writes, if we lose the heavenly vision God has given us, we alone are responsible, not God. God has given us that calling, that vision in our lives of what he wants us to do and what he's called us to do. We read about it in God's word, how he wants us to live. And so if we don't apply our beliefs about God to the issues of everyday life that scripture addresses, the vision God has given us will never be fulfilled. The only way to be obedient to the heavenly vision is to give our utmost for his highest, our best for his glory. And that sounds lofty terms in a wonderful writer and a wonderful devotional book. Um, but again, what does that mean? And I think he helps us uh, with another statement in this chapter when he writes, but the acid test is obedience to the vision in the details of our everyday life. And that's not something we want to talk about, is it? We want to talk about those big things, the general things, not the specifics of living according to the word of God every day. And yet that is what it means to be obedient to the heavenly vision. Um, that is what it means to be in total surrender to God. Granted, none of us does that perfectly. Granted, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins, as 1 John 1 verse 7 says. But that doesn't change the calling of God and the vision of God that we find in Scripture, which says to live for Him, to be obedient to His will and His word, and to live faithful so that in everything we say and in everything we do, it will all be done to honor Christ and to the glory of God, as Colossians 3.17 says. And so we want to be sure that as we are in those great lofty general <laughs> sermons that Bill loves so much, that we don't lose sight of the everyday because that's really where, we, where what Paul is talking about. When he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, he went out right away and started preaching the word of God. In fact, the early disciples didn't quite understand it. They didn't quite trust him. But uh, Luke records all, <clears throat> all they knew is that the one who had been trying to destroy the church was now preaching uh, in the name of the Lord. And, um, and so I, I think that's what we're called upon uh, to do. And, we're, and sometimes we have to wait for some specifics of how to fulfill that. 
And it may be something lofty like Paul experienced, um, maybe something lofty like some others experience, uh, like my dear friend uh, Sherry Crutchmar from North Carolina, a medical missionary. She sold all she had in Winston-Salem, North Carolina several years ago. And instead of just going on a few medical mission trips a year, she was a nurse, she moved to Guatemala to serve in uh, medical missions there. Well, not everybody is called upon to do that, but we're all called upon to be obedient to Christ and to live faithfully to him every day. And that puts us in opportunities and situations where the question is, will we speak out for Christ or will we not? Will we seek to do his will, thy will be done, or will we seek to do our own in spite of what scripture is calling us to do? Um, and that sometimes means going through storms, and sometimes that is his will for us to go through that. And he's working on us in that, and he's also using us to work on others uh, through those uh, through those storms. And there's there's nothing glorious about storms and struggles and persecution in and of itself. But the question is, is it molding us more into what God wants us to be? Is it a part of that heavenly vision? that God has for us? Is it a part of walking in the light as the first part of that scripture I quoted from 1 John 1 verse 7 says? And so Paul speaks about being obedient uh, to that heavenly vision and Peter himself in interacting with Christ in Mark 10 says, we've left everything and followed you. You know, when Jesus said, follow me, it meant that's it. That, that's all you're going to do. They didn't know it at the time, but for the next three years, that was it. Um, and it wasn't, you know, so that the disciples could get glory. It wasn't so that they could have their name in lights. It was simply because it was the calling of God. Uh, and, and that should be our calling as well. We don't respond to the, to the call of God. We don't re seek to be obedient to God's will simply for our own benefit. And I realize we all want to be saved. We all want to go to heaven. I, I get that. And that is certainly an appropriate motivation. Scripture talks about that. But ultimately, our motive for surrender should not be for any personal gain at all. Um, it, it's because we want the Lord. We want to be in his presence. We want to do his will. We want him to do with us what his will uh, would have it. Thy will be done. Um, being in heaven, being forgiven, all of those things are part of that uh, full and complete and total surrender. Uh, but genuine total surrender, as Chambers writes, is a personal sovereign preference for Jesus Christ himself. We want to be in a close relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Master. Um, not so he'll give us stuff but because he alone is worthy and because he gave so much for us, he surrendered all. We sang that song this past Sunday as we were talking about addictions and specifically, perhaps more than the others, alcoholism, but we talked about others in my sermon this past Sunday. I hope that you will go back to our website, westerwin.com. Irwin is spelled E-R-W-I-N, westerwin.com. Click on the top tab that says connect and then click on the live streaming uh, link and uh, it'll take you scroll down a little bit to where it says view archives and you can see these lessons and previous uh, sermons and worship services as well 
and um, and that, that's a very important lesson. And the song that I, my friend Rusty led for the invitation song was perfect. I surrender all. And that's what we're talking about today as well. Total surrender. And, and that means <clears throat> putting Christ on the throne of my heart and my life and nothing else. Um, and, and we don't want to stop short of that. Uh, Chambers writes in this statement I posted a few minutes ago or a couple of hours ago about the study today. He says, beware of stopping anywhere short of total surrender to God. Most of us have only a vision of what this really means, but have never truly experienced it. And so the question in the lesson today is, have you experienced total surrender to God? Honestly, really. Have you put yourself on the back burner and put Jesus on, your, on the throne in your heart? Have you literally prayed and lived out, not my will, but yours be done, thy will be done? Whatever that means, whatever it costs, whatever I have to give up, uh, whatever I don't get to receive, whether it's popularity or praise from others, uh, material success, um, a, a relationship that is put at odds because I have placed my relationship with Christ above it in total surrender? I think that's a very, very haunting question. Don't, don't fall short of total surrender to God. Most of us have only a vision of what this really means, total surrender but have never truly experienced it. Have you experienced total surrender to God where you give up those selfish desires, those, those things that in your life that are keeping you from being totally surrendered to Christ? And of course, all of this is based on, on his surrender for us. Uh, not to us, but Christ's surrender to the Father and his will for us us. It's always um, an act of, of uh, love and uh, action on God's part that we follow with response on our part. And our total surrender to God is because Christ totally surrendered to the Father for us first. That great scripture from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And that's and that was total surrender. Um, the Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one, probably my favorite verse in the Bible these days, is uh, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus' total surrender, it makes it possible for us to be able to do the same. Salvation does not mean merely deliverance from sin or the experience of personal holiness. There's a selfish aspect there. Can you hear it? The salvation which comes from God means being completely delivered from myself and being placed in perfect union with him. Uh, the salvation of Christ means more than just my personal forgiveness and eternal life, but it's rather puts me in the hands of the Lord and says, I, I, I'm giving it all. Uh, I surrender all. Uh, and that, that becomes something that's so fulfilling uh, to me and to us when we're willing uh, to do that. We're called to proclaim Christ. We're called to live in obedience 
<clears throat> to his word. And, and that means our entire life is consumed uh, with the one that we have totally surrendered to. <clears throat> God completely and absolutely gave himself for us. In our surrender, we must give ourselves to God in the same way he gave himself for us, totally, unconditionally, and without reservation. <coughs> Even when you're still hacking away with a cough. And so the question I end with, again, have you experienced that? Have you experienced that total surrender to God? Can you really pray this prayer? Father, not my will, but yours be done. I hope that you can. And I hope that you join us on Thursday for another of the studies from the book of Psalms. God bless you.